Hi there, it's Lucia, host of the Witch Money podcast here. Before we start today's episode, I just wanted to tell you about a really handy new tool from us here at Witch, and even better, it's free. It's called My Money Health Check. All you need to do is answer a few quick questions about your finances, and then we'll do the rest, pointing you towards our brilliant witch advice that we think you'll find really useful. Once again, that's My Money Health Checks. If you want help with cutting your bills or making your money go further, it's the place for you. Just head to witch.co.uk forward slash My Money Health Check. Welcome to the Witch Money Podcast, your weekly hit of money news and personal finance hacks to help make you better off. I'm your host, Lucia Ariano, and here's what's coming up this week. This is about mitigating climate change. This is about social justice, environmental justice. They're telling you that it's this and that, but they're not they're not willing to show you what's under the hood. You know, when you buy a car, In every case, you're buying the product and you can lift up the hood and you can see exactly what engine is inside it. So why is that not the case in asset management? Why is this the only industry where you don't actually know what you're buying? With UK investors pouring £16 billion into sustainable funds last year alone, ESG Investing, which stands for Environmental, Social and Governance, has officially entered the mainstream. But which is research adds to a growing body of evidence that these funds are rarely as green or clean as marketing suggests or as investors would like to think. So for this episode, I'm going to hand over to witch journalist Charlotte Gifford for her investigation into sustainable investments. You'll be hearing from a whistleblower who sounded the alarm on one of the biggest asset managers in the world for alleged greenwashing, as well as industry experts to explain why exaggerated claims and downright deception are so common in the world of ESG investments. And along the way, there'll be loads of tips and advice on how you can navigate the confusing jargon and make sure your investment really do suit your values. It was quite simply the job of a lifetime. You know, they offered me really a dream job uh, to be the um, chief or group sustainability officer, um, you know, at, at Deutsche Bank's asset management arm, DWS, um, an asset manager that, you know, at the time was running almost a uh, trillion dollars um, under management. So it was an opportunity to have immense impact um, on the whole ESG investing space. Uh, part of my role is also to help, you know, the company, um, you know, uh, move into, you know, become more sustainable. Um, so it, 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 it was it, it was a very, you know, it's a, a huge role um, that offered tremendous impact um, to change, a, you know, a large company to create impactful um, sustainability products, investment products. But then in 2021, while Desiree was spearheading the company's ESG strategy, things took a dark turn. But then what next happened, I mean, totally blindsided me. I did not see it coming. In February 2021, Desiree had delivered a 16-page presentation to the firm's management board, 
arguing that DWS was presenting a rosier-than-reality picture to investors by marketing itself as a leader in the sustainable fund space. What happened there was that, you know, senior management just made the decision. Um, It didn't have the wherewithal. It didn't want um, to invest in the resources that were needed um, to properly do ESG. Um, And the company just decided to take a shortcut um, and come out with what I believe to be false public statements around uh, the amount of assets under management that complied with an ESG strategy and also uh, false statements around uh, the company's capabilities in the ESG space. I was the editor um, within you know, their annual report uh, within the sustainability uh, subject matter. And I just simply couldn't sign off on what I deemed to be you know, hugely material misrepresentation. Uh, The firm um, wanted uh, to state that the majority of their assets under management, 459 billion euros of assets under management complied with an ESG strategy. Uh, And that we knew internally, the most senior folks working in a number of different ESG areas across the firm knew that to be untrue. She urged the firm to improve its adherence to environmental, social and governments or ESG criteria. But they never gave her the green light. I felt and others felt there was a, there was a tremendous sense of urgency to fix the problems. Um, and, and it just seemed management was detached. You know, the board listened, the executive board listened, um, but just they weren't green lighting anything. Um, And that's why my final presentation to the board um, at the beginning of 2021, um, I presented in a little bit more of of an outspoken manner. And I certainly expressed the urgency here as we were coming out with the annual report. And, uh, you know, we needed to to get on with things. Uh, And I I guess that that was the, the, the indicator, like the the board was just silent and they didn't say, right, you know, when I, you know, my first slide, you know, talks about major radical change. That was my advice. And when you're using these words in a board meeting, these are, you know, these are very sensitive words where I'm saying, look, we need radical major change and overhaul. Um, And if you're not going to sign off on that, we can do incremental change. But there are three severely urgent problems that we need to we need to address. Um, and, you know, the CEO and the board listened and, you know, just kind of pushed back. There was one comment to say, well, but the market perceives us as an ESG leader. After she was dismissed, Desiree sounded the alarm on DWS, accusing it of misrepresenting its commitment to ESG investing. It's now being investigated by the Securities and Exchange Commission and the German regulator for alleged greenwashing. There is recognition today that ESG can mean everything and it can mean absolutely nothing. And we need uh, greater disclosure and transparency and that uh, statements and products need to be evidence-based. 
Emissions of greenhouse gases need to peak within the next three years if we're to stave off the worst effects of climate change. And even then, we'd still need new technology to suck carbon dioxide out of the skies by the middle of the century. In their latest report, UN scientists are warning we are on course for devastating changes to our climate. And the head of the UN called out government and business leaders for saying one thing on reducing emissions and doing another. Every year, the effects on our environment become more visible and the warnings from scientists more dire. We are in the midst of a climate crisis. One way we as individuals can be part of a collective action to fight back is by being more mindful about what we're spending our money on. As an investor, that might mean deciding that you don't want your money going into companies that push us deeper into that crisis. Maybe instead you want to put it towards firms that are actually trying to somehow combat global warming. Luckily, it's never been easier to invest in sustainable funds. We're in the middle of an ESG investing boom. Deputy Editor of Which Money, Sam Richardson, explains why this is, for the most part, good news for those who care about where their money's going. Ethical funds have been around for many decades, uh, but really until the last decade, they were pretty niche. Uh, the financial industry yeah, didn't see them as a mainstream product, didn't take them very seriously at all. Uh, but that's really, really changed. Uh, we're talking, you know, multi, multi billions um, going into these products now. Uh, mainstream kind of fund managers launching, uh, you know, dozens of ESG funds. Um, and, you know, this is a good thing for consumers. Like, it means you've got more funds to choose from, the fees are lower, they're easier to find. You can get them to, you know, cover particular areas or industries or countries that you're into. In 2018, I decided to start investing and I wanted to do so in an ethical way. So I went looking for funds. And, you know, I was able to get uh, these two funds from Vanguard, which were then called their ESG World and Europe Index Funds. Uh, Sorry, then called SRI Funds. Actually, the name has changed. Uh, With an ongoing charge of 0.35%, that's 35p per £100 invested, you know, to get stocks all over the world uh, in companies that I'd never be able to find myself. And the charges have actually fallen since 0.24%. Now, this is not meant to be an advert. Vanguard. The point being that it's very easy and very cheap to do ESG investing now, uh, which wouldn't have been the case, say, 10 years ago, getting a traditional ethical fund. With demand for ESG funds so high, asset managers have been rushing to jump on the bandwagon. Last year, 1,017 new sustainable funds were launched, according to Morningstar, and 536 funds were actually rebranded as sustainable, double the number in 2020. But as the DWS scandal shows, not all of those asset managers are as green as they claim. The Financial Conduct Authority, or FCA, warns it's seen a rise in the number of poorly drafted ESG fund applications containing claims it says don't bear scrutiny. Part of the issue is there's still no regulation around what makes a fund ESG. The FCA has unveiled plans to introduce standardised ESG labels, but until then it's up to companies to choose how they present their funds, which leaves the door open to mis-selling and greenwashing. Which wanted to find out whether the people who invest in ESG funds understand this risk and understand how flimsy fund managers' sustainability claims can actually be. We surveyed 289 people with money in ESG funds and found that many of them, 58%, thought their money was invested in greener, cleaner companies intent on making the world a better place. 
Many of them also assume that their funds weren't invested in companies they deemed unethical. So, for example, 67% said they were fairly or very confident they weren't invested in fossil fuels. But many ESG funds have exposure to the fossil fuel industry. BlackRock's iShares ESG Aware MSCI USA fund is the largest passive ESG fund by net assets. And last year, it actually pulled in more money from investors than any other sustainable fund in the world. But if you look under the hood, what will you find? Fossil fuel giants Chevron and ExxonMobil. Sam found a similar story when he looked more closely at his Vanguard fund. Yeah, to be honest, when I started investing, my main interest was not investing in certain types of stocks. It was a very traditional ethical approach. Be like, I'm going to exclude certain industries. Uh, for me, it was fossil fuels. I didn't want my money to be contributing to global warming. Um, so I was hoping that you know those Vanguard funds wouldn't include fossil fuel uh, firms. Well, lo and behold, when doing the research in 2020, I decided to look closer to home and found Royal Dutch Shell in the European index fund, uh, which was a bit of a blow, as you might expect. So how do these ESG funds justify investing in these more controversial stocks that are definitely playing a role in the climate crisis we find ourselves in? Here's Patrick Wood Uribe, CEO of Util, which is a global sustainability data provider, to explain just how complex ESG scores and labels can be. What we do at Util is we measure the impact of every listed company in the world, so every company publicly listed uh, globally, uh, and we measure their impact via the products and services that they sell on the UN Sustainable Development Goals. So essentially, we give investors the ability to understand how those um, companies are impacting the world. ESG, so the environmental, social, and governance factors that, that people are including in their investment decisions, a lot of the time, those have historically really been about whether the company is understanding, for instance, the environmental risks to itself, uh, or do they uh, do things internally that, uh, that satisfy certain environmental objectives? Um, same thing goes for social and same thing goes for, for governance. And it's really about, you know, is the company, uh, you know, doing a good job for a company of its type? So you might have a good example might be uh, a company like a tobacco company. Um, they might have sustainable farming practices that would give them a good ESG score. They might have really good labor relations with their farmers that would also give them a good ESG score. But tobacco related deaths are still responsible for somewhere between seven and eight million. Um, you know, tobacco related you know, uh, deaths count up to uh, you know, between seven and eight million a year. So that's obviously a huge difference between what counts as positive ESG on the one hand internally to the company and then the, that company's impact on the world. Um, and so that's why it's really, really important to, to kind of understand the nature of what various different uh, parties in, this, in the market overall uh, count as ESG, what they prioritize, what they give more weight to, less weight to, and those sorts of things. So it's because otherwise... You might be, as an investor, investing in all kinds of things that, that have a really uh, negative impact on the world that you're not aware of. Both BlackRock and Vanguard defend these particular investments on the grounds that firms like Chevron have committed to net zero emissions by 2050. So by investing in these companies, the fund managers argue, people can participate in the transition to a green economy. But is that really what investors want from their ESG funds? Our research suggests not. 
only 2% said their favoured ESG strategy would be investing in controversial companies to encourage them to become more sustainable. A lot of people, including Stuart Forbes, co-founder of Rise ETF and issuer of thematic exchange-traded funds, are of the opinion that labelling a fund ESG when it doesn't screen out such companies is problematic. So uh, my name is Stuart Forbes. I'm one of the co-founders of Rise ETF. We, we focus on uh, thematic investing specifically and um, that convergence between um, thematic investing, but also sustainable investing. Um, you know, we have a real focus on, on sustainable investment themes. Um, sustainable future of food is one of, is one of them. Um, environmental impact is another. Um, and this is a key focus for us, you know, as we move forward in the, in the next few years. I don't think many people would agree that if you're if you're in if you're in an ESG fund, you should be investing in oil and gas and defense and stuff like that, right? If you want those exposures, then go and invest in those particular types of exposures. Go and buy an oil and gas fund, go buy a, a tobacco fund, or or just a broad equity sort of index uh, fund, um, which will have those exposures in it. If you want ESG exposure. Um, you know, you would expect um, those industries to be excluded from that typically. Um, so I think what you need to do is when you see something that says sustainable, right, that's a higher standard than ESG. And in Stuart's opinion, and mine as well, if you want to invest sustainably, it's not just fossil fuel stocks you need to look out for. Meat itself um, is 15% of all human-made greenhouse gas emissions, right? So if you think about all of the, the greenhouse gas emissions coming from fossil fuels, um, coming from, um, from agriculture, from every industry out there, um, 15% of that is coming from uh, the, uh, the, the, the meat, the, the animal agriculture industry, which is nuts because it's, it's been totally out of the spotlight this whole time. You know, we've been very much focused on oil and gas as being the, the, the sort of um, the bad guys here and ignoring um, some of the key key industries, and 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 the reason for that is lobbying, right? So, um, you know, uh, animal agriculture, dairy, you know, meat, uh, fishing. You know, these industries have been heavily, heavily protected um, and subsidized, and continue to be subsidized by the European Union, by the United States, by uh, the UK governments, um, and because of that, you know, they've been out of the spotlight. But the fact is, the food industry is thirty percent of all human-made greenhouse gas emissions. And within that half of it, so 15% of the total is attributable to, to animal agriculture. So investing in meat companies is totally, totally um, incompatible with investing with a sustainable objective and investing in that transition. People in our survey said their preferred strategy was investing in companies that aim to create positive change in society or the environment. It's worrying that, as I mentioned earlier, most investors think this is what ESG funds do, because actually that strategy is just one type of ESG strategy, impact investing, and it's quite uncommon. In fact, impact funds held the lowest assets under management of all ESG funds in 2020, according to the Global Sustainable Investment Review. This speaks to an alarming lack of understanding among investors when it comes to ESG, which Sam found when he asked people about the many different ESG terms in 2020. We've got impact, we've got dark green investing, we've got light green investing, and of course ethical, which can be an umbrella term or a very specific approach, uh, depending on who you ask. So in 2020, we decided to look into whether you know, regular investors actually understood these terms. It's pretty important to understand the name of a investment fund before you invest in it. And we found that people really didn't understand 
uh, what was being talked about. The best understood term was ESG. It was only correctly defined by about 21% of respondents. Uh, and the other terms were even less understood. And there's another layer of complexity as well. Like those terms, the use of them is not regulated. A fund can use the term, perhaps despite its holdings, not exactly reflecting what you'd expect the fund to be investing in. In our most recent survey, we found that 21% of investors couldn't name the strategy their ESG fund used. But understanding the strategy is crucial if you want to avoid getting missold. However, we can't blame the lack of understanding on consumers. The fact is this is an incredibly opaque and jargonistic industry. Shareholder advocacy group As You Sow looked at the prospectuses of 94 funds and found it was almost impossible to distinguish a fund that had greenwashing from a genuine ESG fund based on the language that it used. How upfront a fund manager is about their ESG strategy and the fund's holdings can say a lot about how committed they really are to sustainable investing. Just to give you one example, most fund managers will only reveal the full holdings in the annual report, but only 8% of investors read that according to our survey. You should be looking at the fund manager's website and seeing if they actually publish the list of um, holdings like do they tell you what companies are actually invested in most asset managers only tell you the top five or top ten so there's very little transparency on what they're actually holding yet they're telling you that it's esg or sustainable or whatever it is so first thing is are they transparent about what they do we are you can go on our website and see the full fund holdings uh, on on every on every given day um, the second thing is they might tell you what they're holding but have they told you what they've kicked out Right. Have they told you what their process is and have they actually given you a list of all the companies that they've screened out, whether it's for governance or it's on the back of their engagement they've had in the company or it's because that company might be involved in certain industries? Can they actually prove that they've done that work? And again, we do this by publishing on our website for each of our thematic strategies, the, the exclusion list for each theme, right? So whether it's cybersecurity, we want to, we're publishing the list of, you know, BAE Systems, Lidos, Mantech, Booz Allen. These are all companies that are involved in defense and weaponry, and we do not want to have them within our cybersecurity exposure. Um, and that list is on our website. It tells you what company is and why they're excluded. Um, so these are the kind of things like transparency is, is critical here, right? To, to, to make sure that investors know when they buy your fund, they're getting what they think they're getting. And it may be that if they, with the full transparency, an investor might look at it and go, you know what, my my view on 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 this or that is actually less conservative or more conservative than than the asset managers, right? In which case, that's great, that's fine. They're they're transparent about what they're what they've um, what they're investing in and not investing in, um, and I'm happy with you know I'm happy that uh, with the transparency, but I, I might buy a different fund instead. We need fund managers to be more transparent. But they also need more reliable data that will give them an accurate sense of things like a company's corporate governance level and the impact that it actually has on the environment. Back to Patrick to explain. Yes, it is a bit depressing that, you know, all of these things that we label as, as doing good in the world are not doing the good that we think they are. But at least we're getting a slightly clearer picture of what that looks like. And if we know now, then we can do something about it. Um, I do think that there are other aspects to it too, which is that that we need to start making sure that we measure um, the appropriate things. 
So I think in the end, I th- it, a lot of it is just making sure that we're measuring the right things, that we're all aware of the things that can be measured and how they fit together. Um, and I think one of the key takeaways for me is that it's it's a very complicated world. And I think we need to sort of embrace the complexity and and you know get the get the help that we need from the technologies that we have available to navigate that complexity and make the best of it. It's not just the world of investing that needs to step up, which has found that the green offerings in the savings industry are similarly poor. Being an ethical investor uh, or an ESG investor and then looking at your cash, because of course all investors need some cash, say you know, six months emergency um, cash reserves is immensely frustrating. Uh, the savings market is years behind what's happening in investing. So, you know, our big high street banks mostly don't offer sustainable savings accounts, accounts where you know that your money is only going into, say, you know, certain sustainable investments, not including fossil fuels. Uh, Or where those accounts are offered, the rates, the interest rate are extremely low, um, almost derisory. It's almost like the banks are saying to you, you need to pay us for the privilege of not having your money flow into these, you know, stocks that you deeply oppose. So, you know, which wants to improve this market? So we set out to rate providers for the first time at which on their sustainable credentials uh, with the help with, uh, of the specialist ethical consumer magazine. So the rankings were basically looking at the controls the banks had in place and where your money went, uh, their stated kind of ethical policies, whether they completely excluded some industries, uh, particularly fossil fuels, uh, or whether they could still get through. Uh, so at the top of the rankings was Trildos Bank, which is a specialist kind of sustainable green bank, been around for many years. Uh, there's also Ecology Building Society, uh, again, specialist, uh, and also Nationwide, which was encouraging. Nice to see a high street name up there uh, with you know very clear ethical policies. It's a shame that we're not seeing the rest of the banks up there, uh, particularly those banks offer really high rates usually. And you know this is a decision to make as an ethical investor, when it comes to your cash, you're not necessarily getting best interest rates in the world. They do fluctuate. It's difficult to make general judgments. Uh, but in general, the best rates are offered by smaller specialist non-green banks. A green bank still going to give you a better rate than your basic high street default savings account, uh, but it's not top of the table. The introduction of standardised ESG definitions by the FCA should hopefully make it easier for you to invest in funds that actually suit your values, but it won't completely remove the risk of you being missold. The onus is still on the investor to do a lot of research themselves to make sure that an ESG fund lives up to their expectations. Our research suggests that it's not a workable solution. 18% of investors in our survey admitted they didn't try to access information about the fund's strategy before investing. About half read the key investor information document and only 17% read the prospectus. Both of these documents, but especially the prospectus, are where you're more likely to find the ESG strategy spelled out. And on top of this, plenty of fund managers still aren't being as transparent as they should be. People don't have a lot of time and they want to trust. They want to be able to trust what it is that they're investing in. Um, but that's really difficult when you go to these uh, asset managers' websites and they're, they're only giving you the top five or ten holdings. How the hell are you supposed to know what's under the hood when, when they're not transparent about what they're putting your money into? They're telling you that it's this and that, but they're not, they're not willing to show you what's under the hood. You know, when you buy a car, 
Um, you might buy a, a really cheap car. You might buy an electric car. You might spend a lot of money buying a Ferrari or something. Um, in every case, you're buying the product and you can lift up the hood and you can see exactly what engine is inside it. So why is that not the case in asset management? Why is this the only industry where you don't actually know what you're buying? But Patrick points out there's still plenty of reason to be hopeful that over time, the industry will become more transparent. I do feel optimistic and I, and I feel optimistic for a slightly odd reason, which is one of the very reasons we see the amount of greenwashing that we do is actually for a very positive reason, which is, and, and this is sort of, it's common to a lot of situations like this, which is where there is a huge amount of demand and there's sort of some kind of unreliable or uncertain supply, then very often that's where you get these kind of gray areas um, of various different types of, you know, for instance, sort of greenwashing or, or you know, uh, products that that are not quite as advertised. Um, and And that's the reason it happens is where there's this huge amount of, de- of, of demand and, and not great supply. And so in that equation, what's really good is that there's that really strong demand. And so I think that means that the, the task at hand is to really improve the quality of the supply. And then we'll get to a place where that will be a much more positive interaction rather than seeing a huge amount of demand, which is being satisfied with a ton of greenwashing, which is the sort of other direction where we don't want to go. Since Desiree blew the whistle on DWS, the German asset manager has taken steps to tackle its misrepresentation of its ESG claims. What has subsequently happened is that um, a year later, in its annual report, DWS had to mark down their ESG assets under management um, down by 75%, which I had advised them to do uh, the prior year. And they also abolished this very flawed uh, ESG framework called smart integration. So the two things I called for uh, in early 2021, the company actually did in 2022. However, um, by not acting that that year ago and by having this case brought to the public uh, arena, um, unfortunately, the, the firm is being investigated Uh, by a number of authorities uh, in the U.S. um, and in Germany. So this investigation uh, by the SEC, the BOF, and the Department of Justice and other authorities in Germany, um, and I believe the ECB has also jumped in, um, is still ongoing. I have no idea what the outcome is going to be, but um, I'm very glad that DWS um, did what I told them, and and frankly, what 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 you know, other senior ESG managers, you know, told the firm to do, um, and they, you know, they 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 marked down um, uh, their, their their inflated, you know, and and which I considered greenwashing statements. Um, so you know, I feel very vindicated. In the meantime, you know, as this the investigations are are continuing, you know, at least the company. Um, you know, has has recently has done the right thing. Even though investigations are still ongoing, Desiree believes this is a real turning point for how ESG is treated and regarded in the asset management industry. You know, what is unfortunately negative for Deutsche Bank and DWS, I think will be very positive for the market um, generally. I think it's been a wake-up call for other asset managers to take a closer look in this space while we've been very successful 
in mobilizing trillions of dollars into ESG strategies, I don't think we've done very much. And we have to go back to basics and figure out how we can mobilize all of this money into more impactful strategies that will make a difference. So as an investor, what can you do today to protect yourself from mis-selling and actually invest according to your values? At the moment, the simple answer is if you want to invest in ESG, you need to be prepared to do your research first. This is an industry in serious need of a cleanup, but until the regulator steps in, reading up on your investments and understanding what's really underneath the bonnet is your best shot of making sure your money goes where you want it to. Thank you so much to Charlotte for sharing her investigation today and to you for listening to this week's episode of the Witch Money Podcast. Now, before you head off, please do hit follow and subscribe to the show and leave us a rating and review wherever you're listening. And for more money news and advice, find us on social media at Witch Money and online at witch.co.uk forward slash money. This episode of the Witch Money podcast was produced by Charlotte Gifford, edited by Rob Lilly, with additional support from Ian Aikman. Music.